that Paul wrote. It's his first letter. And his theme over and over and over and over again is the true gospel versus the false gospel. And he teaches again and again and again that you are saved, you are justified before God by faith alone, by grace through faith alone, not by works, right? If we, if we haven't gotten that message, we're not paying attention, right? Now, um, there are always those who when they hear about the grace of God, that salvation is by grace, and through faith alone, not by works, they always get a little nervous. Especially if it's been like three months of grace, grace, grace. They get a little nervous and they say, Pastor, won't all this talk of grace lead to people misunderstanding the gospel and taking God's message of salvation by grace for granted? or even using it as a justification to sin. Hey, you're saved by faith. I believe in Jesus. Let's sin away. Now, that that concern is always raised. It it was raised in the book of Romans by Paul himself in Romans 3 and Romans 6. He says, hey, if I preach grace, um, I know you're going to object. People are going to say, shouldn't we uh, sin so that grace will abound? And preachers have always had to deal with that question. In fact, uh, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher uh, over in London. Um, He is now with the Lord. But here's what he said. There's no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this. That some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this. That because you're saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. That is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it's not the gospel. In fact, if you're not misunderstood to be teaching antinomianism, sin so that grace may, be, may abound, you're not preaching the true gospel. You're preaching a faith plus works gospel. Okay? So Paul, for four and a half chapters now, has been uh, clarifying that you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith alone, by grace alone. Now, in the practical section, though, of Galatians, he makes a turn. Not, his turn is not to add works to the gospel. His turn is to say, if you're truly saved and spirit-filled, there will be spirit fruit in your life. So let's take a look at it. Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Freedom from what? Freedom from slavery to the law. You were were called to freedom, brothers, only, and here's the turn, uh, the the Greek word there could be translated, but, in some translations it says that, but, only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So, So right there is the turn, okay? 
but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, here's, here's what I want to do. I'm going to break this text into three points, believe it or not. That all begin with the same letter. Right? Um, first, what he does, he gives us a warning. The warning is watch out that you're not consumed by one another with your bickering. Okay, Watch out is command number one uh, or, or warning number one. Then he gives a command. The command is don't walk in the flesh, walk by the spirit. Okay. Then his third thing is he gives us a, a list of things to evaluate ourselves by. The works of the flesh. So, watch out. Walk by the Spirit. Works of the flesh is our three-point outline. Let's take a look at the first thing. He says, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't, don't use grace as an excuse to sin. But through love, serve one another. Don't use grace to sin. Use grace as an opportunity to serve one another, to love one another. If your understanding of grace is that it allows you to sin away, you don't understand grace. What grace should do is produce Love in your heart for others, and you show that by serving. For the whole law, hey, you Galatians who want to be under law, let's go to the law. The whole law is fulfilled in one word or one phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you want to be under the law? Well, what does the law say? Love your neighbor. Okay? Now, here he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The Galatian church started out loving one another, and they loved Paul. Remember, he says, I, w I came to you because I was ill, and if you could have, you would have ripped your eyes out and given them to me. So a lot of people think Paul had some kind of an eye sickness. And you showed your love and you bent over backwards to care for me. Now you're stabbing me in the back, is what he says. And I hear there's factions and dissension and bickering and arguing going on all the time. Now, what he's saying is this. Once... The false gospel creeps in. The gospel of salvation by faith plus works. 
Now the church is riddled with legalism. Legalism is I earn my approval before God by doing stuff. And once legalism takes over a church, it inevitably leads to factions and fighting and dissension. Now, let me show you how this works. Okay, we've covered this before, but here's why, uh, here's why the solution to sin is not adding law. In fact, Paul's solution to sin is going over the gospel of grace. But when you add law to your justification, there's a psychological thing and a thing that goes on in your heart that actually creates division. All right? So legalism is what? It's saying my performance before God is what makes me acceptable before God. Now, if you really believe that, if you really believe that your acceptance before God is dependent on your performance and your ultimate salvation is dependent upon your performance, you have to lower God's standard. Because if you're honest with yourself, there's no way you can live up to God's perfect holy standard. So the legalist lowers God's standard to a level that they can handle convincing themselves, though, that they're actually super holy. Okay? Now, if you're, gonna not, if you're not gonna let God's standard be God's standard, what becomes the standard? How you're doing compared to everybody else. Right? So now, and here's where the factions come in. You're not somebody I'm supposed to love. You now become my competition. I can't, I can't live up to God's standard and just fall on his grace. I'm going to lower that law. You're the competition. And I can convince myself and others that I'm spiritual if I'm doing better than you. And that's why Jesus, when he blasted the Pharisees, said this. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. They come up with all these rules and they lay these burdens on people. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They love it when others stumble under the burden of the rules. Why? Makes them feel good because they're keeping the rules. Now, the rules they're keeping are a bunch of contradictions and a bunch of man-made rules. It's not God's holy standard. It's, it's usually a bunch of man-made rules, but they feel good when you can't keep them because legalism has crept in. My performance is based on, or my, or my acceptance before God is based on my performance. And I'm doing pretty good because I dumped a bunch of rules on you and you can't do it. So I feel really good about myself. Right? Now, legalism also leads to making much of gnats while swallowing camels. You blind guides, he said to the Pharisees, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Okay? Um, legalists are not nitpickers, they're gnat pickers. Okay? So, 
how do you identify if you're a legalist or if somebody else is a legalist? Well, God in his grace usually allows legalists to leak. Leaky legalists. What does that mean? Well, while they're nitpicking with little natty things, there's usually a glaring amount of sin in their own life. In their character. Not in their list of of rules. Not in the external. But in their character, there's usually a gaping hole. So, beware of the gnat picker who's always identifying sin in others and sin in the church and sin here and sin there, but is blind to their own hypocrisy, which is usually lovelessness. The greatest of these is love for people. You want to sum up the law? It's about love. But the gnat picker has a gaping hole in their character. They don't love people. They're just out to be important and to look good. And the more they can come up with the rules to put you down, the better they feel. They don't even know they're doing it. But ask yourself, before I follow somebody's advice, are they loving? The, uh, the gnat picker, the man who's critical of others in the church and critical of this and critical of that, but whose own family can't stand him because of his anger. He disqualifies himself as anyone to follow because when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, anger's not one of them. None of his kids follows him. His... uh, Uh, he's just driven by anger, but that anger comes off as holy when he picks gnats. But what God is doing is he's saying, hey, red flag here, don't follow that person. They may have a bunch of holy rules, but anger controls them. There's the, uh, okay, we picked on the man. What about the woman? Beware of the gnat picker woman whose glaring hypocrisy is zero submission to her spouse or to any other spiritual authority. Big list of rules. Follow me, follow me, I'm important. But zero submit. You know what? When Scripture says, before you put a man in a position of eldership, look at his family. Look at their family. Are they in submission to their husband? If not, what are you doing listening to them? Right? Now, how are we to deal when we come across legalists? How are we to deal with them? Jesus said this about the Pharisees. Leave them. They're blind guides. Don't fight with them. Don't try to correct them. By the way, you can't convince a legalist of anything. Because they have, I I call this the holy trinity or the unholy trinity of answers. Here's the the unholy trinity of answers. You're worldly, God told me, and blessed are the persecuted. Well, you're just worldly. 
Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's reason this out from Scripture. Now, if you don't get it, you're just worldly. But what about this verse? God told me. Well, how do you argue with somebody who gets direct revelation from God? End of case, right? And blessed are the persecuted. People persecute me. Well, Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness, not for obnoxiousness. So, point one. Oh, here's the biggest thing. It's your life full of, of division and, and, and controversy. Legalism inevitably leads to controversy. And it's not because you're so holy. It's because you like stirring it up. Right? So, point number one. Watch out for the legalist. Watch out that you're not him. And one sure sign is division and controversy everywhere you go. But now, in response to that, that's, that's the warning. Now, here's the command. Walk by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Um, do you detect? Uh, my, my theory is that Paul wrote Galatians. That was his first draft. And then over the years he refined it and then he came up with a, a letter called Romans. Do you detect a little Romans 7 here? Why do I do what I don't want to do? And why do I do what I do, 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 right? Um, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And law there doesn't mean there aren't any laws you follow. The, the, the power of the law is um, you have no power. It's just you and your flesh trying to obey God. You can't do it. But the, the law is contrasted with the Spirit. So basically what Paul is saying here is when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God actually takes up residence inside of you. But there's still that unredeemed flesh that he is working on for the rest of your life. And there's this tension between the flesh and the Spirit. And Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Talk about controversy, okay? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And I think maybe the best way to explain this is to talk about two extremes that we want to avoid, okay? On the one hand, over here, we've got the, we'll call this the overly mystical view. Walking by the Spirit you attain a certain level of spirituality. And you can, you, you can attain that through uh, you know, certain books you read and certain people you find. You attain this level where you're just walking by the Spirit. It's a highly mystical thing. Uh, and then over here, you get the other extreme. That's the overly mystical view. This is the overly manly view. The Spirit saved you. He gave you a book. Now man up and follow it. Those are extremes. Now, 
The overly manly view. Let's talk about that first. It's pretty much gives no power to the Holy Spirit other than he saves you, he gives you a book, and tells you to follow it. It's like boot camp, right? Well, there is power in this Holy Spirit. God lives inside of you. There has to be power. You know, on Wednesday nights, we studied the life of Samson. And Samson is a physical picture of some spiritual realities. But it says in a number of places, the spirit came upon Samson in power. And in one case, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey and he slays a thousand Philistines. And then afterwards, he was thirsty. (laughs) Thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey? But it was the Spirit that gave him power. Peter, who denies that he even knows Jesus three times, is hauled before the Sanhedrin. And they say, the same guys who crucified Jesus, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter filled with the Spirit, says, sorry, buddy, we must obey God, not man. See, there is real power in the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Spirit is not, you know, like the force in Star Wars. Tap into the the force field, Luke. No. Spirit's a person. A real living person who guides and leads and convicts and directs. And let me, let me say, by or according to his word. In fact, the law of God is written on your heart. So he doesn't need to be having owls fly by and give you new direction. The truth of God. What do we got going on over here? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> caught you. All right. Um, <laughs> and don't be drinking any water or I'll catch you doing that. So the, uh, the Holy Spirit is a person and God's law is written on your heart. And when you go in a direction opposite of that which is God's moral direction. He goes, hey, ho, ho, and convicts you. And he leads you according to his word into truth and into obedience. Okay? So the overly manly view does not give enough credit to the very real power that is available to Christians. Now, on the other hand, don't go over here into wacky world. Wacky world turns the Christian life into this super mystical view. And you've heard the phrase, let go and let God. If God wants to clean up my sin act, he'll have to do it himself because I'm reclining during my quiet time waiting for him to pop truth into my mind and to uh, fight sin, but I'm just passive. No. Let me show you some verses that, that show you how active you need to be. Colossians 1.29, Paul talks about 
um, ministry and the, the struggle that he goes through. And he says, for this I toil, struggling, and the word is agonazomai, from which we get the word agony. I agonize, but with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So there you've got uh, this picture almost of an athlete agonizing in his struggle to do ministry and to fight sin and to follow Christ. But he's not doing it with his manliness. He's doing it with the power of the Spirit inside of him. So here's here's the question. Where does man's effort, uh, where, where does God's power end and man's effort begin? I don't know. I don't know, but... It's God's power being worked out through sweat. Okay? Give you another one. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Doesn't say work for. Saved by grace through faith alone. But I I always like to, to, to illustrate this verse with Gatorade. There's the Gatorade. It's a free... You drink it in. Now... Work it out. Sweat it out. With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there you've got this sweat it out. Work it out. Full energy. Full effort. Realizing that you're relying upon the power of God in you. Well, Pastor, you're not making it any easier. Follow the Spirit and sweat it out. Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We've got an extra. That's not inspired here. So how do I know if I'm walking by the Spirit? Those are in my notes that got in there by mistake. I am not adding to the Word of God. Okay? Um, The old King James says, but if by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the body. You know what mortify means? Murder. There's this picture of by the power of the Spirit, you murder, kill, stab to death. little effort involved. So it's not this totally passive, oh, I've attained nirvana in the... No, you sweat it out. But it's not you alone. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in you giving you the determination, the Word of God, uh, the ability to fight sin. And that Holy Spirit is producing in you fruit. But it's it's not law. Where you just say, in my own effort, I'm going to do... No, it's the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, directing, and it's you following his lead. Okay? Now, you say, I don't know that I have... I, I, don't, I don't know that I have the real, uh, the real solution here of what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's because many people equate walking in the Spirit with feeling something with an emotion, with a feeling, with a, uh, 
you know, with a state of being. Do you know what Paul gives us to determine whether we're walking in the Spirit? He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it's more the character that's being produced than a bunch of buttons that you push. Okay? Now, here's what he does. In the first part that we're going to look at today, he gives us the works of the flesh. These are the things that characterize the non-saved person. And then in days ahead, we're going to look at the, work, or the, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking by the Spirit, your life should be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. And we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're actually going to look at each of those fruit in days ahead. But first, he says, here's a way to know whether you're walking in the Spirit or not. Here's a list of works of the flesh. So let's take a look at the works of the flesh. And he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. By the way, you know what that tells me? When we argue with people over whether abortion is right or wrong, or homosexuality is right or wrong, or living together outside of marriage is right or wrong, or they know. You know, the law of God is not only written on the heart of the Christian, it's written on the heart of the non-believer, according to Romans. The works of the flesh are rather evident, rather obvious. Now, um, what are they? Well, he goes on to give three categories. Sexual sins, religious sins, and social sins. Okay? Sexual sins, religious sins, and social sins. Here are sexual sins. He says, um, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. What's that? Sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Now you fill in the blank, whether it's living together before you're married, homosexual activity, um, a life immersed in pornography, pornography. That's sexual immorality. And then he says impurity, and that word basically comes to mean the same as sexual immorality. And sensuality, and that's a, just a, a, a life driven by sex. Okay? Sexual sins are works of the flesh. Now, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he's even more explicit. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? By the way, if you live this way, you're going to hell. Wait, I thought you are saved by faith. You are saved by faith alone, not by works. But if you live this way, you don't have faith. These, These are the fruit of the flesh. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So just in case you're wondering... um, by the way, do you know how many states now? In, in, in 10 years, in 10 years, in uh, 2004, how many states allowed for gay marriage? Do you know? One. Massachusetts. How many now have legalized gay marriage? All the blue ones there, 35 states in 10 years. We are seeing a massive 
moral change in the world and in this country in 10 years. I don't think we realize. Are there signs that Jesus might be coming back? How about that? Um, Now, you go, oh yeah, the world... The world is bad. You know, it's, it's not just creeping into the church. Churches are caving left and right. Remember last year we talked about world vision? And how uh, they said in their, their hiring uh, practices, as long as homosexuals are married, it's okay. What? And, and the donor base said, What? And all those donations, and then they, they like a, the next day. Oh, we, sorry, we don't know what we were thinking. Yeah, what were you thinking? But but now, and there's always been books that advocate that homosexuality is okay. But now, here's the new one you got to watch out for. This is uh, Matthew Vines, God and the Gay Christian. Uh, we know kids at Moody who are reading this and going, oh, yeah, that's, he's right. Um, now, here's, here's why this book is so dangerous. Matthew Vines, 24-year-old Harvard kid, nice kid. He's gay. And he's uh, called, he was raised in an evangelical church. Um, but the publisher of this book, here, let me read this. You can be gay and Christian. That's the message of God and the Gay Christian. Convergent Books is a publishing imprint under the same corporate umbrella and leadership as the evangelical Waterbrook Multnomah, known for its best-selling Christian titles as John Piper's Desiring God and books by evangelical authors David Jeremiah and K. Arthur. You see, people trust their publishers. So... What they did here, though, and by the way, to, to defend Multnomah, they were bought out by a big secular group, but now they're going to continue publishing, but to the gay-friendly crowd, but under a different label. So you can keep selling to the evangelical conservative crowd books by Piper and Kay Arthur, but over here, it's, a, it, it's purely market share. It's like the same publisher saying, here are books that are pro-abortion and here are books that are anti-abortion and we'll just take the profits. Okay? And by the way, who's one of the endorsers? Praise for God and the gay Christian. For anyone who wants to know why some evangelicals find that the Bible does not condemn same-gender marriage, Matthew Vine's book answers the question. Christians who oppose gay marriage should consider what he has to say. Who said that? Tony Campolo. I mean, back in my day, Campolo was like, he was speaking in all the evangelical churches. Everybody followed Campolo. Now, if you read it carefully, he's not necessarily saying I agree with it. He's just saying, if you want to know what certain people think, you ought to read this, okay? So, yeah, but, but if you have to be that clever that you can endorse a book without really endorsing a book, um, so there's a lot of scoundrelness going on here. But um, we are in a day and age 
when it's going to come to Valleybrook when if we don't embrace gay marriage, there will be a price to pay. And I hope you visit me in jail. Okay? All right, so you go, oh, wow. Um, That was just a little rabbit trail. Um, While this verse condemns homosexual activity, or not this verse, but the Corinthians verse, this verse and the Corinthians verse actually condemns all sexually immoral lifestyle. In other words, do you know how many people are sitting in church this morning all over this country who are living together? And they're going to the big mega church where they're praising Jesus and they go home and they're living together. Do you know how many uh, people are immersed in a lifestyle of pornography but this morning they're praising Jesus? And what this verse is saying is this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. If you're living in sexual immorality and you think you're a Christian, you are deceived. You're not a Christian. You're going to hell. Well, I thought you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. Couldn't make that any clearer. It is by grace through faith alone. With true faith, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit of God comes inside of you and the Holy Spirit of God does not tolerate that. So at at some point you go, I can't do this, I repent. And if you don't, and you go on living in that lifestyle, and you even go buy books to support that lifestyle, and you defend that lifestyle, and you find a support group of others who defend that lifestyle, you're not saved. not saved now you go that's unloving you know here's what's unloving to let people go on living in sexually immoral lifestyles without warning them because in essence what you're doing you're saying oh we just love everybody love everybody come on in and just sit here and praise jesus and they go to hell and in hell they go why didn't you say something oh because we loved you so much that we let you go to hell How are we doing on the first sermon of the, of the, of the year here? Okay. Um, there are sexual sins that are works of the flesh, and there's idolatry. He lists idolatry and sorcery. Okay? Uh, sorcery is basically using religious things to, um, uh, to, to, to control the world. It's using, at least their view of God, to control the world. And idolatry is basically saying, um, here's how I want God to be, and I will remake God in my own image. Okay? Now you go, well, I'm, I'm not an idolater. I don't have a little statue in my house that I, that I bow down to. And I always like to point out that idolatry is not just metal, it's mental. Idolatry is the person who says, um, oh, I love Jesus, I love the Bible, 
But my God would never send anyone to hell. My God would never condemn a homosexual. My God, and fill in the blank, it's basically saying, I am not going to let Scripture define who God is and what his values are. I will determine that. That's idolatry. You know, even when it comes to some of these difficult theological issues, you know, we've got the Calvin Arminian issue. Did God choose you or did you choose God? Okay, now, wherever you land on that issue, are you, is your attitude, I will go wherever God's word says, or is it I refuse to believe this and I will reinterpret it the way I want it to be? That attitude of I will not let God's word guide me is idolatry. So really, a, a sign of salvation is that you really want to dig into the word and read it. And wouldn't you want to take advantage of whatever your church offers Bible study-wise? to grow? Hey, did I mention Wednesday nights we're going to be studying the basic teachings of the Bible. Okay. Then there's strife. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Okay. Again, um, these are uh, the results of legalism. When you think you have to appease God by your behavior, then y'all become the enemy of one another. And it's characterized by rivalries and dissensions. Do you know people who cause conflict everywhere they go? Whether it's family, church, work, or their whole line of churches that they've left behind, their whole line of family that they've alienated. Does that describe you? Do you really believe it's everyone else and not you? Do you really believe it's everyone else's fault? And there's not something in you that's just creating relational division everywhere you go? If that describes you, you are no more saved than the person living in sexual sin. You can't live like this and have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you at the same time. Oh, there's going to be tension because it is true that a righteous person, a truly righteous person, is going to rub the world the wrong way. But there's even a way to, to navigate that so you're winsome enough to try to win them over and not just be alienating people all the time. I like Paul Washer's illustration. He says, if I were preaching and I told you, by the way, on the way to church today, I was run over by a semi. He says, would you believe me? No. Because when you're hit by a semi, it alters your face, right? It alters your life. Can you 
really have been hit by the semi of salvation? The truck of the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself, coming into your life, and your life is no different now? Don't fool yourself. Okay? Then, um, Paul throws in some bonus ones here. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So fill in, fill in the blank there. I hope there's not a whole lot of orgies going on. Um, now, drunkenness, let me say this. I know some of you struggle. But realize, Scripture doesn't call it a disease. Every form of therapy calls it a disease. Scripture calls it a sin. And I think until you realize it's a sin, that it's an offense to God, you're not going to get a handle on it. Are you repenting of your sin of drunkenness? Okay, And it may require every ounce of sweat and blood and tears to fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's at least call it for what it is. Now Paul says this, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You go, is there any hope? Ah, there is hope. Here's the Corinthians passage. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There it is again. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, here's here's your hope, were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Our God. You know, when people say, uh, oh, you Christians who believe that homosexuals can come out of that lifestyle, all our statistics say that that cannot be. And I say, such were some of you. Give me a documented case study of people who have come out of that lifestyle. Such were some of the Corinthians. What are you going to go by? The... uh, the heavily biased statistics of the secular world, or such were some of you. And that were applies to other sexual sins and relational sins and addictions. Okay? I want to be careful. We're not talking about perfection but we are talking about a new direction. In days ahead, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But here's what what I want you to leave with. You don't change by trying harder under the law. Fruit grows from the root Have you ever come before Jesus and said, dig up my roots. I'm letting go. I'm not, I'm not, change my roots. Change my heart. 
I trust you and you alone to save me. I've, been ha- I've had one foot in and one foot out. Dig it up. Cut out my bad roots. Give me a new heart. Change my life. Would you pray with me?